Welcome to Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast, encouraging you to take hold of your dreams and pursue your passions. From behind the scenes to center stage, travel through the United States and Ontario, Canada, sharing the best places to see, stay, and dine. We'll have interviews with people rocking from their own backyard to performing on world tours, bringing inspiration for you to live life loud. Hello, and thank you for joining me on today's episode. I wanted to do a little update on what's going on before we get into the content for this episode. First, we're doing a giveaway of a brand new Ampeg Scrambler Bass Overdrive pedal, and you can own one untouched in the box. I have had a Scrambler Overdrive for a few years myself, and though they purport it to be for bass, because after all, it is made by Ampeg, I find it works well with my electric guitars. If you'd like to hear what it sounds like, I have a rough mix on decibolic.com. It's called Scrambled Eggs with Toast. All the bass and guitar recorded in this song were processed through the Scrambler Bass Overdrive. So if you'd like to own one of your very own, head on over to Instagram or Facebook and look for at Live Life Loud Podcast, or you can email the show Live Life Loud at decibolic.com. I ask that you be 18 or older and that you have a stateside shipping address because I'm footing the bill to get it to you. I'll be announcing the winner October 1st and also on the following episode of the Live Life Loud Podcast. In the midst of everything else going on, I've been fortunate to do some traveling. Last episode, we featured my 10-year-old Serena as we briefly discussed our trip to Mackinac Island. Later on in this episode, we will do day one of our 1,500-mile venture to the Mall of America and the return home. I look forward to sharing the trip with you and giving you some insight into hotels and places we found along the way. I've also been interviewing for new employment while helping to take care of our adult son who is diagnosed with severe autism from the age of two and a half. To say that I've been spinning a few plates the past couple of months would be a good understatement. Thank you for finding this show, listening to it, and coming back following a much-needed and healthy hiatus the show has been on. In future episodes of the show, I'll give my take on a voiceover workshop that I attended in Fort Wayne, Indiana, And there's plenty more of the gear in here, the gear that I actually use in the podcast, and plenty of deep shower thoughts and more when insults had class to come. And now for something completely different. How many people does it take to change a light bulb on social media? One to change the light bulb and post that the light bulb has been changed. 14 to share a similar experience of changing light bulbs and how the light bulb could have been changed differently. 7 to caution about the dangers of changing light bulbs. 17 purists who use candles and are offended by light bulb discussions. 6 to argue over whether it's light bulb or light bulb. Another 6 to condemn those 6 as stupid. 22 more to tell those 6 to stop being idiots. 2 industry professionals to inform the group that the proper term is lamp. 15 know-it-alls who claim they were in the industry and that light bulb is perfectly correct. 29 more to post memes and GIFs or GIFs, depending on that whole discussion. 12 to post the letter F. 8 to ask what F means. 16 to post the word following. But there's three dots at the top right that mean you don't even have to do that to begin with. 36 to debate which method of changing the light bulb is superior, where to buy the best light bulbs, what brand of light bulbs work best for this technique, and what brands are faulty. 
7 to ask if the brands of light bulbs used are worth the money. 19 to tell them that if they like the light bulbs, buy them. 5 people to post pics of their own light bulbs. 15 people to post, I can't see, and use their own light bulbs. 7 to post URLs to where one can see examples of different light bulbs. 4 to post that the URLs were posted incorrectly and then post the corrected URLs. 13 to comment, me too. 5 to post to the page that they will no longer post or are leaving because they cannot handle the light bulb controversy. 22 to ask if there is a flounce in progress. 40 to post what flounce means. 4 to say, didn't we go through this already a short time ago? 13 to say, do a search before posting questions about light bulbs. One more to bring politics into the discussion by adding that, insert your politician of choice here, isn't the brightest bulb. Four more to get into personal attacks over their political views. And one late arrival to comment on the original post six months later or to reply, I don't believe in light bulbs to begin with. And start it all over again. From podcast to music and audio creation, these reviews come from first-hand experience. It's time for The Gear in Here. In this episode, we're going to take a travel back in time. It was the late 80s, and pedals were an acceptable way to get the effects you wanted on the cheap, but were by and far considered to be inferior to their big brother, the rack mount processor. Pedals, also known as stomp boxes, are devices used primarily by electric guitar players to alter the way their instrument sounds or to have something to buy when the wife tells them they have too many guitars. Anybody and everybody who wanted that studio sound used rack-mounted gear. The phrase refrigerator rack was born, as many touring musicians would have four-foot, six-foot, even eight-foot tall racks filled with their power amps, preamps, and all the effects they were using at their performances. This and some clever marketing, if you bought a piece of gear that was rack-mounted, it was instantly far superior to anything else you could use, likely contributed to the increased popularity of the minivan among musicians. There were a number of companies vying for the almighty dollar from every musician in this category. One of those companies is known as ART. ART, or Applied Research and Technologies, was established in 1984 by employees of a well-known brand that had recently shuttered its own doors, MXR. In the few short years to follow, ART made critically acclaimed pieces of gear, including the SGE Studio Guitar Effector, multiverb effects units, a variety of MIDI floor controllers, and their take on the Galleon Kruger Mini Amps, the Carbon Fiber Attack Module. This company would go on to not only catch the eye, but the pocketbook of Yorkville Sound. Under the new alliance, ART would shift their focus and start honing in on pro audio and especially recording equipment. This led to one of their most widely recognized products, the Tube MP. Using an actual 12AX7 tube, this would excite and enhance the sound of any microphone or instrument with an added dimension of warmth and depth associated with multi-thousand dollar outboard pieces of equipment. This also saw ART shift away from concentrating solely on rack mount to design more portable and space saving devices. This leads to the project series and an important part of my own studio space, the SCC Studio Control Center. The size of this device is not much larger than two 12-ounce cans of your favorite beverage. Rather than attempting to be a jack-of-all-trades, the Studio Command Center 
is a three by three in out system for controlling what you're hearing in your studio space. Every button on the front face of the SCC is backlit, including the mono switch and the ability to mute all inputs. Dual four segment LEDs let you know if you are distorting the sound going out to your speakers. On the bottom of the unit, you will find recessed controls for balancing the input and output levels from all the sources. This is great for fine tuning volume levels, both on the inputs and to the speakers you are listening through. The downside to this design is once you have all your connections made, it can be rather tricky to turn over the unit to be able to make these fine adjustments happen. But given the chassis they are confining all of these inputs and outputs and controls to, make this setup a minor annoyance as opposed to a design flaw. Another great part for me is the external power supply. You wouldn't think that to be a huge deal, but having the power supply outside in a wall wart configuration helps the device not get hot to the touch. I have left it on for weeks at a time and it still feels as cool as the moment I first turned it on. There are a few drawbacks for consideration given the size of the SCC. First is the input and output controls. And if you have big fingers like mine, it's very easy to accidentally hit more than one switch at a time, changing either what you are hearing coming in or where it's going out to, or accidentally turning off all the sound and wondering what just happened while you're doing work. This also makes for it to be quite difficult to do quick comparison between two or more sets of studio monitors. One other minor change I wouldn't mind seeing would be having each of the three sets of in-out banks with their own separate LED color. I will point out it is nice to see the mono and mute switches do have different colors for their indicators. The SCC is a very straightforward piece of gear and I found little to no change in my audio at all when compared to the output coming directly from my audio interface. If you are looking for an easy way to reduce the clutter of wires in your project studio and provide a single knob to quickly control the volume on your sets of monitors, you can't go wrong with the ART SCC Studio Control Center. Imagine, if you will, one man's journey through space and time. From the coast of California to the furthest reaches of Ontario, Canada, sharing both experience and insight, hotels, restaurants, and interesting finds, you're about to enter this episode's edition of Travel Time. So instead of just going right for Minneapolis and going for the heart of it at, at the Mall of America, which was our, our midpoint destination for this trip, we had a little different route. It might have been a little easier to go up through Illinois and then over uh, Wisconsin and into Minneapolis and to Bloomington. I wanted to see more of the states, so we decided to go to Iowa and then... Uh... And what was the primary reason for that? Why did you want to go to Iowa? I wanted to see as many states possible at our on our trip. And that worked out pretty well. So after we figured out that we were going to Iowa, Mall of America, and then back around through Wisconsin and down Illinois... I wanted to see some tourist attractions. As we went on our first day... We went through a part of Indiana, Illinois, and then into Iowa. First, we found the wooden nickel, and then we worked our way back to the beginning of the trip. 
as we were doing this, I found a location called Tinley Park, which just had a simple little train to stop at for a cute photo op. Little did we know, we would find a beautiful little downtown section for walking around. It had themed park benches. We found one that was My Fair Lady and, that, and one that was The Beatles, Yellow Submarine. From movies to music, they had quite a wide variety of themed benches, which were very interesting. We found the Led Zeppelin-themed Stairway to Heaven, complete with the wizard depicted on the single from the album. There had to have been at least a dozen of these. But there was one more piece to Tinley Park that we got to see before leaving. We got to watch a train go through the depot. Head over to Decibolic.com and click on the Travel Time page. There you will be able to see pictures as that episode releases for travel time. After this, we stopped at one of the most beautiful wonders in Illinois. We got to see Starved Rock State Park. What were some of the more outstanding features? There were a lot of trails and plenty of canyons to visit. There's over 2,600 acres of land. This area is right along the south bank of the Illinois River, and the park hosts over 2 million visitors every year, the most of any state park in Illinois. As we walked around this state park, what was the highlight for you? I really liked the St. Louis Canyon Waterfall. There was a pond um, with the waterfall, and there were two frogs that were on the wall on the other side of where we were standing. And it took a bit of effort to climb over to the place with the pond, but we did it. And I got to meet two or three puppies while we were at the park. A flood from a melting glacier known as the Kankakee Torrent took place estimated 14,000 years ago, led to the topography of the site and exposed rock canyons. Diverse forest plant life exists in the park and areas and supports several wild animal species. After enjoying a good amount of time at the state park, and just before reaching our hotel, we found the world's largest wooden nickel. Located in Iowa City, Iowa, the world's largest wooden nickel is over 16 feet across. It is mounted between two telephone poles, and it's facing the road in a farm field. It was built in 2006 as a local political protest by Jim Glasgow, who still maintains it to this day. The only downside to visiting this beautiful monument is the fact that it is literally right on the side of the road, and just before a very busy intersection taking you between Iowa City and Coralville. Day one of our travels was just over 420 miles, and in not including our stops, we were on the road for just over five and a half hours. The end of our day brought us to Coralville and quite a nice hotel at Drury Inn and Suites. This chain of hotels is known for its travel perks. Ideal for those looking to unwind after a long day on the road like we had and not wanting to have to go back out or figure out something else to do come dinner time. After getting settled into our room, a dinner buffet. Serena, how did you care for what they served at dinner that night? It was good. They had hot dogs. They also had a nice peppered Alfredo pasta, some seasoned chicken strips, salad, and even do some nachos as well. They also had readily available a variety of sodas and drinks for the adults. You get a drink ticket allowing you up to three free drinks at the bar. But there was one more thing we got to experience that evening at the Drury Inn and Suites after we ate and took a little rest. We got to go to the pool. 
It was indoors and outdoors. There was a little thing at five feet deep where you could swim from the indoors pool to the outdoors pool. Also right there in the pool area, they have a nice hot tub that seats up to 12 and right behind it, a place to shower off. This location also has a good sized workout room. The machines were very quiet and well-maintained. They looked to be almost new. It was a great way to get some good stretching time in before getting underway on another long day of travel that followed. And also finally before leaving this location, We were treated to having a breakfast, which had both continental and hot food. The eggs, the sausage patties were excellent for being provided by a hotel. Not your typical watery eggs and overcooked breakfast meat. And Serena enjoyed a fresh waffle she made herself. The city of Coralville is under 15 minutes from Iowa City. Should you find yourself with business or plans in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Drury Inn and Suites of Coralville is less than a 30-minute drive. On the next installment of Travel Time, day two in our Mall of America road trip with an antique car museum locating a distinct water tower in 105 degree weather, an underwhelming stop in Awatana, and some good burgers in Bloomington, Minnesota before arriving at our hotel where we stayed at for the next two days. Travel time. Thanks for listening to Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast. We hope you'll join us again, and be sure to let your friends and family know about us. To find out more, visit decibolic.com and sign up for our Louder Life newsletter. The views and opinions expressed during this episode are those of our guests and host below. Remember, wherever the road takes you, live life loud. 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 loud.